Colonel Douglas McGregor returns. How you doing, sir? Great, David. It's great to have you back. You know, we uh, haven't talked to you in a few weeks, and of course this is the week where we're looking at the anniversary of this invasion, and we are we just saw Putin deliver a speech and Biden delivered a speech. There's a dueling speech thing going on. What's your takeaway from what you've seen of these uh, speeches and announcements? I think it's important for Americans to understand that uh, President Biden's trip to Poland and Ukraine was really about signaling to the NATO alliance that uh, as long as he's president, obviously, uh, we are going to continue to provide support for Ukraine. Uh, The NATO alliance behind the scenes is very divided, and uh, the overwhelming majority of Europeans are making it clear to their governments that they do not wish to be dragged into a war with Russia. As a result, uh, President Biden has gone over there to try and bolster European support for uh, Mr. Zelensky and his government, and, and also to make it clear that we're not going to, to bail out anytime soon. The problem is that he also made a number of promises that were somewhat confusing and disappointing to the Ukrainians. Uh, he said he was going to give them $500 million. Obviously, you and I wouldn't be disappointed by that. But billions of dollars have already been spent. That's half a billion. And it's not going to buy the kind of uh, capability that Ukrainians think they want. It's also not going to provide uh, equipment in time to make any difference to the battlefield. And I think that's the largest part, because the president said, well, we're going to get you 700 tanks and 1,000 artillery systems and so forth. There's no evidence that any of that's going to arrive in time to make any difference. And right now, uh, frankly speaking, the Ukrainians are staring down a battle of a, the barrel of a very big gun. Uh, the Russians are now poised to launch what I would call decisive offensive operations to crush what remains of the Ukrainian army and see certainly what is east of the Dnieper River. And that's one of the reasons that uh, President Putin spoke. He was trying to once again revisit the rationale for why Russia has done what it's done and to also make it clear to us in particular and the NATO alliance that if we are going to try and disrupt or intervene in the operations that the Russian armed forces are about to conduct, that they will end up in confrontation directly with Russia. And that includes uh, any attempt to launch weapons from Polish territory, Lithuanian, Latvian, Estonian, Finnish, NATO territory in general, uh, that that will result in war with Russia because the Russians will strike all those systems and assets on NATO soil if they are used against the Russians in support of the Ukrainians. So he, he put everybody on notice uh, that this is serious, and uh, we had better pay attention because this is a, a no-nonsense message. If you want war with Russia, these are the things that you, you could do, and you don't want war with Russia, don't do them. Yeah. You know, I look at uh, some of the things from the speech that, you know, Michael Tracy said in his speech today, listing grievances against the U.S., Putin once again brings up the U.S. unilaterally terminating the INF Treaty, which was done by Trump, who was supposedly colluding with Putin, even though a large number of Putin's grievances now relate to the actions of Trump. I mean, how do you, this is something that it wasn't just Biden, it wasn't just Obama. There was some blame with what was going on with the Trump administration as well That on the, in the part of leading up to this conflict becoming a hot war. 
Well, we know that uh, President Trump made a number of ill-considered choices when it came to appointees in his administration, only to discover that the majority of the people that he thought uh, were supportive of his agenda were absolutely opposed to his agenda. Uh, Mr. Pompeo over at the State Department was a good example of someone who did everything he could to promote conflict with both Russia and China and uh, North Korea. And these were things that uh, President Trump wanted to address. He wanted to make a, a change in course. He wasn't successful, not only because of Pompeo, but he ran into the same problems over at the Department of Defense with Mattis and Esper. Uh, when he finally discovered these things, it was too late to rectify the situation, unfortunately. But I think we do have to understand that uh, the problems we confront today with Russia began in the 90s. And they began under the Clinton administration with the decision to push the borders of NATO well beyond the limits that were agreed to by Gorbachev and President uh, George Bush. And as a result, uh, the Russians had told us repeatedly, do not push NATO to our national borders. If you do that, we will not accept it. And ultimately, we not only pushed it to their borders, but we decided to make Ukraine a launching pad for attack against Russia. Uh, we built up its army over the last eight years with the goal of eventually attacking Russia and retaking control of the Crimea and uh, destroying the, the Russian uh, breakaway provinces in eastern Ukraine. And Putin repeatedly asked for equal rights for the Russians that were living in Ukraine that constitute almost a third of the population. Uh, that was the basis for the so-called Minsk agreements. Those things were ignored. He uh, indulged the 2014 Maidan coup that put a government into Kiev that was unambiguously hostile to Moscow and, and reported to us and essentially acted as our puppet. So he went back over these things to say, look, we're, we're not going to tolerate this any longer. We're now in a position to change this condition. And remember, the things that he wanted most of all for Ukraine involved neutrality. He simply did not want Ukraine to become a, a part of NATO and therefore a, a direct threat to Russia. And we've made it very clear over the last 20 years that uh, we're threatening Russia. And we're not satisfied with any sort of deal that doesn't remove Mr. Putin from power, that doesn't, quote-unquote, punish Russia, doesn't destroy its economy, ultimately dismember it and make it effectively ineffective as a nation-state. These things are unacceptable. The Russians aren't going to put up with it, and so they're going to fix the problem. The only way that they, they know how to fix it at this point, which is to go into Ukraine, root out the problem, and establish a new territorial status quo. When you look at the uh, speech from Putin today, he highlighted, again, the culture war dynamic that he sees as what's going on with this conflict, not just the the uh, the aspect of of nato he says see what they do with their own peoples the destruction of the family cultural and national identity perversion mockery of children and pedophilia are declared the norm i mean he, he doesn't mention that abortion is very high in his country and divorce is very high in his country as well but uh it's clear that there is a there's a there there is some clear differences and priorities about uh culture and children uh, and gender between the Russian government and the Western governments uh, is you, you mentioned well, I earlier. Would, I would tell you, I would tell you that uh, Russia is an Orthodox Christian country. Uh, this is not a country that pretends to be 
secular. It doesn't pretend to be anything other than what it is. Historically, it's a it's an Orthodox Christian nation with an Orthodox Christian culture, and they are recovering from 70-plus years of communism. And that's not an easy thing to do, David. And the problems that you pointed to, this on-demand abortion uh, disaster, and the problems with human relations between men and women and divorce and so forth, those things were exacerbated to the point of almost societal destruction under communism. He has done everything he could to try and rectify that and roll that back. But he is also right when he points to the uh, attitudes in the West towards gender. I mean, we have a government that believes that men can have babies. We are appointing justices to the Supreme Court that are incapable of identifying a woman. We have people who are simply rejecting science and biology in favor of some sort of neo-Marxist ideology that wants to treat human beings as uh, fungible material, things without souls. <coughs> that's what he was talking about. Do you really do you think that that's what motivates a lot of the folks in the in the decision making at the State Department in D.C. as they want to impose their uh, gender ide- identity politics? Uh, and oh yes, mockery? I do. Yeah, I do. I think so. I think that's our biggest problem right now is that. The kinds of destructive policies that are aimed at Americans are being exported. We're not satisfied uh, with whatever has been accomplished here in terms of same-sex marriage and, and uh, you know, mutilating people's genitals to change them into something they were not initially born as. And we want to export that. We want to fly the LGBTQ flags uh, from our embassies. That's the international... Uh, movement and goal of the administration. This sort of thing is anathema to most of the world, David. There are very few countries in the world that support this and want this. So you can imagine that uh, we are making enemies every day that passes by the millions and hundreds of millions. (laughs) Do you believe it's an intentional goal by American foreign policy to destroy ancient and orthodox Christian communities in the Middle East and abroad, Serbia, Ukraine, now bans the Orthodox Church, uh, uh, Syria. A lot of churches were destroyed by the activities of American allies over there and against Assad, Iraq, uh, displacing ancient Christian communities. It seems like it's becoming kind of a policy here now when you look at every country we've been involved in in the last few decades that those types of ancient Christian communities suffer. Well, if it's not a deliberate policy, as you point out, it certainly looks like it. So I I haven't heard anybody say that publicly, but I think it's pretty clear that this administration feels a great deal of contempt uh, for religion in general, but specifically Christianity. And, of course, that, that creates enormous problems for us here in the United States, because whether or not you're a regular churchgoer, uh, Christianity is bound up with our culture, our history, our national identity. And the same thing is true in most of the world, wherever there are uh, religious majorities, and they see their countries as uh, inherently bound up with their religion. If you go to places like Iraq or Saudi Arabia or you know Morocco, Egypt, it's unambiguous. Islam, Islamic culture, are, are bound up with the nation, its history, its people. 
we have the same thing in Europe with Christianity. So, yeah, it, it may not be the announced policy, but I think the hostility is real. Well, David, make sure you tell all of your listeners that they need to make it abundantly clear to their representatives on the Hill, as well as to the White House, that they do not want to go to war with Russia, because we are arguably on a path to direct confrontation with Russia. It's a very dangerous path. Here's the headline from the recent Munich Security Conference, this gathering of global uh, leaders in Munich, United Front in Congress on Ukraine, at least in Munich. And another headline from Politico, it's the end of the world as we know it, and Munich feels nervous. And Politico reports this, the only people smiling at this year's security conference are the defense contractors. Arms sales are booming by all accounts. And one reason why they may be smiling is because lawmakers like Lindsey Graham are pushing now for more weapons to Ukraine, including F-16s. Here he is. So here's what I believe. Once you call Russia being engaged in crimes against humanity, you have to have actions consistent with that statement. So I'm looking for this administration to follow up on that statement by designating Russia a state-sponsored terrorism under U.S. law. A hundred senators urge the administration to do that. I'm also urging the administration to start F-16 training now for Ukrainian pilots. Don't worry about provoking Putin. Let's make sure we beat Putin in Ukraine because he will not stop if we do not. Our guest is Doug McGregor, retired Army colonel and former senior Pentagon advisor. Colonel McGregor, what do you make of Lindsey Graham saying he's not worried about provoking Putin and calling for F-16s being delivered to Ukraine? Well, Senator Graham's uh, courageous words mm-hmm. are certainly inspiring. <laughs> I always uh, remember that he's a combat lawyer. He always points out that he's a veteran and he was in Afghanistan and he was in Iraq, uh, supposedly uh, doing whatever lawyers do in the in the battle zone, which usually involves telling people not to do anything. Uh, I, I don't know. I, it's incomprehensible to me that the man would make such irresponsible statements. As far as crimes against humanity are concerned, this war that we are waging at the expense of the Ukrainian people is a crime against humanity. We are instrumental in the destruction of the Ukrainian nation. Whatever happens at the end of this process is is ultimately our fault because we should have worked tirelessly at the very beginning to bring this to an end. Now, heaping uh, insults or pouring buckets of filth and abuse all over uh, Mr. Putin, all over the Russian state and the Russian people may be gratifying to Mr. Lindsey Graham in Washington, D.C., but it doesn't help our case. It doesn't promote peace. And it almost ensures that before everything ends, we'll have Russian troops on the Polish border, the Romanian border, the Moldovan border, and there will be no more independent Ukraine whatsoever. We saw this episode where there was a lot of hype about the U.S. agreeing to send the M1 Abrams tank over to Ukraine. But then we got the small print, which is that, oh, the U.S. is going to delay these shipments because they're building brand new tanks for this job. So this will take a year, maybe even two years before these tanks even get there. Uh, if the U.S. and or its allies commit to sending F-16s, well, first of all, is that a possibility to you that F-16s are committed? And if so, would that change anything on the battlefield? Well, first of all, as you point out, uh, most of this equipment, if it ever arrives, will arrive long past the point where it would have made any difference. And, and quite frankly, at this point, given the horrendous casualties, the only way that you could make any of this work is by turning vast numbers of American soldiers, Polish soldiers, German soldiers, French soldiers into mercenaries. 
and and saying that they're actually on contract. There are already 20,000 Poles fighting under Ukrainian command in Ukrainian uniform in Ukraine. There are 2,500 dead Poles lying in cemeteries in Poland, and they weren't killed in Poland. They were killed in Ukraine. Steins, if you could provoke them anymore. Just I don't know. Killer. You know, you know. And uh, the the argument that we heard there from Lindsey Graham that uh, if we don't stop Putin in Ukraine, that he'll go on to Europe. How do you respond to that? Oh, it's absurd. It is unworthy of any serious response. Come on. When we started this thing, uh, started watching the Russians go in, the Russians went in with a very small force. Their aim was to, to convince us that they were serious about their national security. They weren't going to tolerate any more violence against Russian citizens inside Ukraine. And uh, everyone said, oh, well, the Russians, look at this. They can't be serious. Their force is too small. Their military is incapable. Well, you've got to have it one way or the other. If they were interested in conquering Europe, then their military was always too small. Now, all of a sudden, the military has become larger and far more lethal and capable. And he still has no interest in going into Europe. He just wants to do business with Europe. We're the ones that keep spinning out that fantasy. The, the lies are just incomprehensible. They, they One lie after the other. It, this makes Vietnam and anything that happened in Afghanistan and Iraq look infantile. Let's go to another advocate for sending more U.S. weapons to Ukraine, more than we're already sending. His name is uh, John Hurst. He's a former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, speaking on the BBC. But do you think there is a concept for the termination of war as well? Um, there is a concept, and that is the following. Give Ukraine right now the F-16s, the long-range missiles like Attackums, and more tanks now, not at the end of this year, not next year. They will be able to conduct a successful offensive to cut the land bridge from Russia through Donbass to Crimea. And that will produce a major political, not just a military defeat for Russia, a huge problem as all Russian forces have to tr- retreat into an isolated Crimea and a major political problem for Putin at home. Well, the, the reality as well is that the Russians are throwing everything at this spring offensive as well. Yes, and they're not doing very well with, with that everything. They've, they've lost tens of thousands of troops in, in a couple of months, and they've gained inches in Donbass. They just had a huge failure around the town of Vuladar where they lost a couple of their crack regiments as well as 30 or 40 armored vehicles. So they're making very tiny gains at an extraordinary cost. Are you concerned? Doug McGregor, that's the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. He says that Russia has suffered a number of losses and that if we just send more weapons, Ukraine can launch an offensive, cut Russia's land bridge and even force Russia to retreat into just Crimea. Well, I I know Ambassador Herbst, uh, met him briefly. He's full of hatred for Russia and Putin. Uh, He's full of hatred for people like me. And he's full of hatred for uh, those of us who oppose the policies of this administration inside the United States. Uh, All I can say is that he knows absolutely nothing about military affairs. He's pointing to a handful of weapon systems, insisting that they somehow or another are the key to victory. This is the sort of delusional thinking that Hitler was guilty of in the last year of the war. We'll find a silver bullet. It'll reverse everything. It's not going to reverse anything. And then finally, he's completely misrepresenting what's been happening in southern Ukraine. And that is that the Russians went over to a defensive posture and they have ground away at the Ukrainians who poured tens of thousands of soldiers into their meat grinder. 
The Russians have taken very light casualties compared to the Ukrainians, and the Ukrainians have lost most of their capable forces and capable manpower. So I think he's living in a fantasy world, but that's where he and, and Mr. Blinken and uh, Mr. Biden and most of his friends in the White House all live comfortably. And I don't think they're going to uh, take well to what's coming in the next few weeks, which is going to be devastating. Colonel McGregor joins us again. Colonel, thank you very much for joining us. A lot has happened uh, in Ukraine since we uh, were last together, not the least of which has been the president's surprise trip there and statements that he made after he left when he was in Poland, even statements he made while he was there. Uh, President uh, Putin's uh, speech and statements that were made to President Putin about President Biden's speech. I want to start with uh, President Biden. As I understand it, and you have far better sources uh, than, than most people, certainly than I do, some of the ultra-nationalists around President uh, Putin uh, were furious that uh, President Biden sort of uh, big-footed uh, Putin by showing up uh, in Kiev the day before a pre-announced speech by President Putin. Uh, one of the, um, not in the government, but advisors to Putin said, Biden could have come, we are so weak, Biden could have come to the front line and shaken his fist at the Russian troops and got back in safety and we wouldn't have harmed a hair on his head. I'm paraphrasing, but I think I'm saying it uh, correctly. Correct. Question, how influential or damaging to President Putin or how animating to him do you think President Biden's surprise arrival in Kiev was? <clears throat> President Biden's uh, trip was designed to pull NATO together to boost morale in the West, because behind the scenes, NATO is deeply divided. We're frag fractured, fragmented, whatever you want to call it, because out of the 31, 32 members, very, very few people are interested in being dragged into war with Russia. And we continue to double down on policies that have thus far produced a lot of dead Ukrainians, have lost a lot of Ukrainian territory, but are certainly not going to win. And people are, are wondering how much longer we will continue this before NATO falls completely apart. So I think Biden went over there not just to bolster our friend Zelensky. It was really more for the NATO allies than anything else. And I, I, don't, think it, I don't think it worked, but that's what he was there for. In terms of the way these things work, involving military, intelligence, uh, civilian, White House, uh, Zelensky's people, is it is it realistic to believe that the Russians were given a heads up just to make sure they didn't bomb Kiev while Joe Biden was there? Well, I'm sure they probably said, said something to the Russians and alerted them. And of course, the Russians are right. They wouldn't have taken any action against President Biden under any circumstances. Uh, you know, you saw the fake air raid that was staged. They right. turned on the air raid sirens when Biden walked out to go to the Wall of Remembrance. Uh, again, this is Hollywood stuff. And perhaps it made Biden's handlers happy, but it was stupid. And ultimately, again, I think the whole thing was, was staged for NATO. Keep in mind, when you look at the speech and what Biden promised Zelensky, this is pie-in-the-sky stuff. 700 tanks, 1,000 artillery systems. When? Next year? You know, when is this stuff going to arrive? If it ever arrives at all, it's not going to make any difference to the outcome on the ground in Ukraine. And then $500 million. Well, 
given what we've already invested, that's a pittance. Uh, and where would it go? It would go through the same recycling machine in Washington for the most part, but then a lot of it would be lost in Ukraine. Uh, you know, the Ukrainian corruption machine. I think the whole thing was a bust. Here's uh, President Biden uh, addressing NATO leaders and employees, uh, as well as Polish dig dignitaries. And here he is at, for him, his uh, rhetorical flourish. Brutality will never grind down the will of the free. And Ukraine, Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. Never. Well, you know, what can we say? Uh, it's, a, it's something that I wouldn't have said had I been in his position. It, this demonstrates that no one in Washington is looking for an off-ramp, that Washington is quite willing to risk direct confrontation with Russia, which is something I see no evidence that anyone in the United States wants to support. And we're clearly not ready for a high-end conventional war with the Russians. But that's the signal. The last uh, treaty that we signed... Uh, with Russia, the uh, START Treaty, Strategic Arms Limitation, puts a, a cap uh, on nuclear weapons and provides for uh, inspections to make sure the cap is being honored. Here's um, an angry but I thought articulate uh, President Putin with a translator announcing uh, Russia's withdrawal from the treaty. In the beginning of February this year, there was a statement from the North Atlantic Alliance factually demanding that Russia returns to the Strategic Arms Treaty, as they call it, including allowing inspections of our nuclear defense facilities. I don't even know what to call it. It's a theater of the absurd. Regarding this, I have to say that Russia suspends its participation in the New START Treaty. Are uh, inspections standard in these treaties, and why would he call it the theater of the absurd? Are each side in inspecting the other side, or is it just NATO inspecting Russia? Well, there are provisions for inspections, but I think what he's drawing out as an implication is that somehow or another the Russians have not honored the treaty. And therefore, uh, we demand access to see all of these things because we don't believe anything you say. And he says that's unacceptable. Now, keep in mind that he suspended the treaty. That's very important. The word suspend suggests that at some future date and time, It'll come under back. the right circumstances, he would be willing to restore it. So we should, we should regard that as positive, frankly. Because let's face it, at this point, they have more nuclear warheads than we do. They may have more delivery, weapon, delivery systems. I don't know. We, we get caught up in all these numbers. We have enough explosive power between the United States and, uh, and Russia to destroy the planet. End of discussion. So uh, it's in our interest to, to restore the treaty at some point. And I think he's made that point. But he's not going to stand there and put up with these allegations and accusations from us that they are somehow or another dishonest. Look what's happened to him over the last several years. I mean, he's finally reached the conclusion he's been lied to repeatedly. Russia has been betrayed by us, and he's got a record to prove it. Let me uh, show you a full screen, uh, which is a, a description of a, a talking to that the U.S. ambassador 
received in Moscow uh, in the Kremlin. The U.S. ambassador was reminded that the weapons supplied to Ukraine and their maintenance personnel, including American military personnel, are a legitimate target for strikes by Russian troops. The Russian foreign ministry demanded that the United States take measures aimed at withdrawing U.S. and NATO troops from the territory of Ukraine. I'm going to repeat that phrase, Colonel, because you told us about this and it doesn't appear anywhere in the mainstream media. Mm. Aimed at withdrawing U.S. and NATO troops from the territory of Ukraine, Western military equipment and stop activities hostile to Russia. Is it finally becoming apparent that everybody knows that NATO troops, whether in uniform or out, and American troops, whether in uniform or out, are physically there in Ukraine? Well, I think it's a, an open secret, Judge. Uh, but the real question is, why wasn't this note delivered last year? They could have delivered this note in September. So my question to you is, why is this note being delivered now? In other words, why is the U.S. ambassador being told under no uncertain terms the consequences for leaving American and allied military personnel, whether they are there in Ukrainian uniform or nondescript uniform or civilian clothes, doesn't make any difference. Why is he saying this now and making it abundantly clear that they will be treated as legitimate targets? Before we attempt to answer that, I want to run the next full screen. I want everybody to know that you sent me these full screens. Mm -hmm. These are from your uh, sources, although I think they were open sources. Yes. On, on President Putin and his red line. This one, in my view, is even more inflammatory. Putin gave a signal no longer for Ukraine, but for those countries that support it. This is a hint that in the event of an escalation that will threaten the Russian Federation, strikes will be carried out on the territories of the countries in which it is located. This is a direct signal, not even a red line, which suggests that in the event of a threat in the near future on the territory of Poland, the Baltic countries, Finland, their territory will be subject to retaliatory measures and attacks from the Russian Federation. Now, we know a colonel, because you've told us, Scott Ritter's told us, that American military personnel in Poland are directing HIMARS and other um, missiles, I'll just use that as the lay term, which are in Ukraine to attack uh, Russians. Does this mean that Russia is reserving the right to attack American military personnel in Poland? And if you answer yes, isn't that just what the Polish president wants so he can start World War III? Uh, I think the following is what he means. First of all, there are lots of people out there who've been saying, well, the Russians have assembled all these forces, but they're never going to attack. You know, we heard that before. We heard that in January last year. All these Russian troops are going to sit there. They're not going to attack. I was one of the few people who said they would go in. They went in. Now people are saying the same thing. I want to assure everyone that the Russian forces in and around Ukraine are not on a training mission. They are preparing to attack. Now, that's the first thing. In When this attack begins, they're making it very clear all the gloves are off. No more nonsense. If you have cells operating inside Ukraine, you Americans, British, whatever you are, we will target and destroy them. We have tolerated enough. We're not going to indulge or tolerate any more behavior from you inside Ukraine. So we're giving you fair warning, get out. The red line now is very clear. If you interfere with this operation, if you try to disrupt the operation, 
if you try to march into Western Ukraine and declare a safe zone with the so-called coalition of the willing, which reflects the fact that NATO is not united, well, we have news for you. We are going to strike back. And that means if we launch an invasion from Poland, if we launch missiles from Poland, rockets from Poland, whatever from Poland, Poland will become part of the theater of war. The same thing holds for the Baltic states and Finland. Now, I don't see any evidence that anything is going to be launched from the by the Finns. Uh, frankly, I, I don't see any evidence that any one of the Baltic states would do anything. But clearly, Poland is the hub of U.S. military activity in the region. And by the way, he didn't go down and list everybody else in NATO. But quite frankly, it holds for everybody. And the message is clear. You're going to be at war with Russia if you do these things. So the American troops that are unarmed and out of uniform are fair game. And he's basically saying it. And why shouldn't they be fair game? They're not even protected by the Geneva Convention because no, they don't not. have uniforms on. No, they're not. And, and I don't know about the unarmed part. I'd be very surprised if that were the case. But frankly, if a tactical ballistic missile with a thousand pound warhead falls on you, they're not going to discriminate between those with or without weapons, obviously. Here's uh, President Putin uh, earlier today on who started the war. Kiev regime provided artillery uh, and uh, aviation and other weapons to, to attack Donbass back in 2014. In 2015, they attempted again to directly attack Donbass. They continued shelling terror in relation to citizens. All of this was completely against the documents that were accepted by the United Nations uh, Security Council. I would like to repeat, they started the war and we used the force in order to stop it. The only thing he didn't say is that Victoria Nuland, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama started this when they fomented, with the use of CIA and other assets, the so-called revolution in 2014, which overthrew the popularly elected government, which was perceived as pro-Moscow. That's about the only thing he didn't say. The rest of what he said is arguably an accurate recitation of that part of the history of that area. No, it is. And keep in mind that the Minsk agreements were reached and signed by Russia, Germany, France, in order to put an end to the attacks on the Donbass republics. These are Luhansk and Donetsk. These are the two, quote unquote, breakaway republics. They're all Russians. 14,000 people have died in the fighting there long before the Russians intervened in Ukraine. And this was intolerable, and they finally moved in to stop it. He's exactly right. There's no question about that. We don't acknowledge it. But justice and truth are not on our side in this. You uh, have told us for a couple of months now uh, that the Russians are amassing large numbers of troops ready to enter the country. Those troops have either been re recalled to active duty having served their time or they were reservists who were trained or they were conscripts who needed basic training but it appears that is done how many troops do you think are being amassed uh by the russian military and when do you think they will enter the ukraine well the uh, largest concentration of russian combat troops is in the south 
and in the west of uh, Russia. If you draw a line from, let us say, just uh, south of Zaborizhia over to uh, the Oxal River, uh, everything south of that line is the war zone, and there are about 250,000 combat troops prepared to attack north and to attack west into eastern Ukraine. Now, when I say 250,000, I'm, I'm talking about the people that close with and destroy the enemy. There are mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands manning rocket, artillery, tactical ballistic missiles, air defenses, and so forth. So a total would be, I think, probably close to 700,000. I've seen 720, but that's, again, that includes everything, logistical support, transport, everything. Well, that's going to be a tidal wave uh, of, of Russian military humanity and materiel, almost the, almost the, the foot soldier equivalent of carpet bombing uh, into, into Ukraine. How can they possibly resist that and expect to be successful militarily? Well, I think the defenses in the South have largely crumbled. The Ukrainians are hanging on by their teeth in most cases. Uh, morale in the Ukrainian military is at an all-time low. Casualties have, have gone through the roof. Uh, they were losing a battalion equivalent a day. Now it's been up to 1,000. 60,000 artillery rounds, rockets, missiles, hard-shell ammunition falling on you every day is pretty shattering experience. There are so many casualties we can't even begin to estimate anymore. So, yes, I, I think that's that's fair. But on the other hand, I think it also you also need to understand something that the Russians are doing. If you look at that front, no one is entirely 100% sure where the main thrusts will be. In other words, where are the main axes? And the axes are going to be very broad. And this is historically something the Russians have done very well. If you go all the way back to Marshal Suvorov in the days of Napoleon, one of their tactics was to put out large numbers of skirmishers in front. It would create a lot of smoke and fire. People couldn't peer through it. People didn't know where the main body of attacking Russian troops was. And when they did find out, it was too late. And the Russians were very good at doing something that Napoleon did so well, which was to mass artillery fire. You're seeing something similar develop down in southern Ukraine. So when, it, when the hammer falls, it's going to be a tremendous blow. There's no question about it. But again, it will be methodical. They will move forward under this umbrella of ISR strike, and they will ensure that they take very few casualties and they will maximize the enemy's casualties. And they're still dealing with a, a huge area, so they don't expect to systematically root everything out. But before this is over, they will seize all of eastern Ukraine. That's the near-term intermediate objective, clear out eastern Ukraine. When, when do you expect this will start, Colonel? They've been ready for, in my judgment, for several weeks. Uh, why they've waited this long, I don't know. Uh, a friend uh, with good sources who's a fluent Russian speaker told me that Armed Forces Day in Russia is on the 23rd of February. And uh, he said he thinks that that's the most likely trigger point. But uh, others are saying the anniversary of the 24th, I'm not sure that the Russians hold that anniversary in the same esteem as people do in the West. So my Russian speaker may be Accurate. It may be the 23rd, but it could come tomorrow morning. Again, wow. this is part of the Russian strategy. And it works.